Good morning. Great to see you this morning. Hello, hello. We'll get it straight. Um, how good 30 degrees to the sun? People with that don't get that stuff, you know. And I'm like, 30 degrees. They were cold. I said, well, it was minus 40 last week. So you're talking about 50 degrees warmer. And it's like, I'm wearing short sleeves today, you know. It's like, it's a good day. But, uh, People in the South don't get it. Of course, people in the East are getting a little taste today, right? Ooh, they can have three feet of snow in some places. Crazy. God, help us. Not about three feet of But thanks for being here. Thanks for choosing to be with us. You could be anywhere else this morning in your queue. And I just uh, I honor you and bless you and say thank you for taking time on your day to be with us. Because it's just God. Will you close me? Lord, we love you. We bless you. God, thank you, God, again, for your love and your presence, the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the word, Lord, that uh, just brings us truth and it brings us the reality of who you are. And God, again, as we dive into your word, God, that ultimately, Lord, you would transform our hearts. You would make us more like Christ. And Lord, our lives would be filled with you. And God, Lord, we just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we begin this new series called Parables. I'm very excited about it. And I know I say that all the time. I was thinking about that this morning, you know. Because it would be a little bit weird if I came in here and go, this series, I'm not that excited about it. But uh, I hope that you guys will come. Um, it would probably, probably lose a little bit. But I'm very excited about this series. Uh, it has been stirring in my heart for some time. And, uh, and, and so we're going to be looking at some of the parables that Jesus told. These parables... Um, stories um, to awaken our hearts again to Christ, who He is, um, the revelation of the kingdom. Like I said, um, as I was praying earlier, you know, you have the, the Old Testament, the part of Jesus coming is to reconcile God and man, the sin separated us, and Jesus came to reveal, um, again, uh, the plan of God, the kingdom of God, to win man back to God. And Jesus came to be among us in this great act of love, this great rescue mission. He comes to the earth, and while he's here, and he does this three years of ministry, and a part of his teaching, part of what he was doing was to say, this is who God is, this is what the kingdom of God is, this is who I am, and this is the heart of God to his people. And so my prayer is that God again awakens us to who He is, the reality um, to He is. And so He tells these stories, some truths, some analogies, to again reveal the kingdom of God and the reality of God and the reality of, of who He is and why He came. So, you know, one of those questions we can say, um, why parables? Well, the disciples asked that same question, you know, opening. Um, Scripture. Let's do the next slide. He answers that question. So this kind of set up to where we're going um, over these next few weeks. His disciples came and asked him, "Why do you use parables when you talk to the people?" And he replied, "You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not." And so he chose these disciples, and they would be the carriers that he, would, he had given them secrets. And, and even though they didn't understand everything, he had given them revealed kind of what he was there for. So they were getting part of it. But he said, you've been committed to others have not. To those who listen to my teaching 
more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. And so, he's saying, those who hear my message, for those, for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. Let me pause right there. Jesus is also obviously not talking about the physical listening. This is a, an awakening. Remember what Paul said. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart and then the ears of your heart, that there would be a spiritual revelation. And not just hearing. Remember what James said. Don't just hear the word, but do the word. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's not just listening with our ears, but are we applying? Are we becoming more like Him? And that's those who will be transformed and become like Him. So verse 13, next slide. So that is why you be careful, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you see what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. And so he used parables in his teaching. So that there would at least be the opportunity to learn spiritual truths, to learn the things that he was saying with, and without excuse. And so he didn't just deal, what I love about it, he didn't just deal in these high up, like heady things where it's like, man, I need a doctorate in theology to understand this. He was saying, I want to make it so people can understand what's behind the heart of God and what's behind God's love for people. And there again, he still says that some will harden their hearts and some will turn away, but I'm at least going to give people an opportunity. But it was, again, a story, some true story, some more illustration, a revelation to awaken their hearts to, again, be who God wanted them to be. And, and, and here's what Jesus says the reality of this passage. Even though that he would tell them, not everybody wants to hear the truth. There were religious people, there were prideful people of the day, there were broken people. Again, you had all of these people that were kind of listening to him. And some responded to his message and others rejected the message for whatever reason. Some, they have already made up their minds what is right, what is true. They become unteachable. Again, some are very religious, and we'll look at that in a minute, but other people just say, I, I will be my own God. I will call my own shots, and I will reject you. The ones that got it, the ones that you see a heart change, again, what are some of the traits? They were humble. They were teachable, and they surrendered their life to Christ in the truth of what He was saying, the truth of who He was, and the truth of His Word. And so that's the setup where the disciples asked, why do you do parables? And He explains, because I want to give everyone an opportunity to know who God is and know what the kingdom of God is. And so my heart, my encouragement is that we all, in a fresh and new way, come before God in a humble way to allow Him to speak to us, Allow Him to challenge us. Allow Him to awaken our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, and our spiritual hearts in a new way. And so, don't hit the pause button and say, well, I've heard all these things before. We, we can hear it daily, and we need it daily. Don't miss out on what God wants to say. And so our response would be, God, what do you want to say to me? 
Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in me to make me more like Jesus? That even though I've heard these parables, I want to hear them again because I want to know the truth of who he is and not be like James. Because remember, James challenged us. He said, be doers of the word, don't just hear it. He said, he said, because it's like a man that looks himself in the mirror and walks over and forgets what he looks like. He said, that's how we hear it, but are we perceiving it? Is it making us more Christ? Is it transforming who we are? So my, my, my heart is to be an awakening, awakening. Let me dull of hearing and just tune it out. But to say, Jesus, what are you saying to me? And so we're going to begin there. We're going to be um, in, I call this, uh, this message going to be lost and found part one, because we're going to be in Luke 15 for some time. Luke 15, the most famous parable in Luke 15 is the prodigal son, the, 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 the story of the prodigal son. We're actually going to jump into that next week. We're going to dive into it next week. But Jesus, in the lead up to the story of the prodigal son, tells two other parables to the people that are around him. It's the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost soul. We're going to be looking at those. But before we look at the passage of Scripture, I have a question for you. Have you ever lost something? I'm talking about, you know, I, I, you know I'm not talking about a couple of boxes or the remote fell into the couch. You know, and you're... By the way, I was the human remote control at the time. I, I was, you know, there was a remote control in the food. Um get up and do that. Remember when we had rabbit ears? That's good. Just stand there. My brother would just, my brother would just move like, yeah, just stand right there. That's perfect. I can't see. It doesn't matter. I can. So I was the human remote control, and so I'm not talking about losing the remote control. Some people can't watch the TV. I've watched the remote. Forget it. They're not watching it. I can't. I, I, I just cannot do this. I mean, it's just, what in the world? It's got to be easy. Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things of value. And you lost it, and you searched for it, and there is a celebration when you find it, or a sense of relief. Um, there's a story, one of my best friends from high school and college, we played tennis together, um, my friend John, who I, I love deeply, and he's been a great friend of mine for many, many years. And uh, when we were, um, I guess, I was freshman in college, I still lived at home because we are in the hometown of the college that I went to. And, um, every once in a while, you know, John and I would go out to this place that we we just like to call it the field. That's what we, everybody kind of called it that. We drove way out into the county, and uh, you know, it would be kind of like a you know, um, you know, farm field out here. Now, where the field is, it is a subdivision. The field no longer exists. I was so sad the last time we were there. Like the field's gone. I don't know. Um, so we used to drive out there, and we would park the car, and we'd like, you know, that little inlet, kind of like you see in the farm roads, and we would just get out, and we would walk, and walk, 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 way out, and we would just, and it was just, you know, grass, and we would, we just lay in the field, and we would actually have some very deep spiritual talks, and, um, you know, it, it was just a fun thing that he and I did, where we'd just go out there, and we'd just kind of, like, look at the stars, and just kind of talk about stuff, and, one night, you know, he was, uh, we were together, and it was about 1.30 in the morning, and we said, let's go out to the field, and we drove out there, and it takes quite a ways to get out there, and so we're, you know, did our thing, and it's, it's probably, you know, been out there an hour, an hour and a half, 2.30, 3 o'clock, it was back in the day, and I didn't need as much sleep, and so we get up, we're done, we walk to my car, and I can't find my keys. 
and I'm like, I can't find my keys. And John's like, yeah, right. Because he, like, he's the ultimate prankster. And so he's like, you're messing with me. I'm like, I'm not kidding. When we were laying down, it fell out of my pocket. you got to realize the grass, you know, it's about this deep. And now I'm like, oh, no. I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, we could have hiked back to town, but it would have taken a while. And so we're panicking. I'm like, and he still thinks that I'm joking until I start walking out. And I'm like, I'm not kidding, man. we got to find these kids. And so we're out there searching where we're just kind of looking in the area where we are. But, you know, this is only a dark, I mean, we just, uh, it, is, it, is, it is this panicky feeling that I'm going to have to walk into town and then bang on the door and wake up my dad. That was the fear, most fearful thing for me, you know, that um, I lost my keys. Um, and so we, well, we were searching. We searched for a while, maybe about 30 minutes, and then I'm like, you know, let's pray. You know, and it's that you get distracted with me. It's that panicky feeling of, you know, we got to get home, and I do not want to walk that far. And and so we pray. I mean, we're just out there. We feel you know, God help us, please. And then I'm I'm laying in the grass, doing like a slender in the grass. You know, just you know, just and then I move over, and you're just doing, you know, that stuff. And finally, I hear that jingle. The relief. I'm like, you know, I found them. And you know, and I I, I mean, it was such joy. And he's like. And then, as only John can do, he goes, wouldn't it have been funny if that was another person's piece? And I'm like, that's the way he thought. Not at all. It wouldn't have been funny at all. You know, and uh, he said, you know, maybe God wanted to first specifically for my keys. And we just have any random keys or anything. But, I mean, you, and you are just with me. And not, again, in the big scheme of things, that's not that big of a deal. But there is a sense of relief and joy, like, yes. Thank you, God. You know, and, 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 and so if you've lost something of value or, or you get that panicky feeling, then, and that's what I was preparing for the summer, I heard another story about a, a, a couple. Um, this, this guy, he, you know, they, he didn't have a lot of money, and he falls in love with this girl, and he is saving. I mean, he's like you know, eating ramen noodles for days to save up and buy her an engagement ring. And so he saves, 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 I mean, and he... I mean, this is valuable, but it's not, a, I mean, it's not even that awesome of a ring, but it's valuable to him and her. He proposes, it's beautiful. He's still living at home. And one day, she's just going to the house and she realizes that the, finger, uh, the ring has slid off his finger and she can't find it. And she goes into and she's like, all right, everyone, stop what you're doing and let's search for this ring. So they are. You've been there. They're turning the house upside down, looking everywhere, and they cannot find it. They can't find it. She is broken. She's in tears. That's the call to them. And of course, he still lost her, and they get married. But there's just something because it was significant because of the sacrifice that he made to do this. So they get married. She's got her wedding band on, and uh, you know, she's just it, it was pretty, a pretty distraught thing. And so her folks are. Three years later, the folks are going to do some renovations to the house. And the dad is pulling up carpet. He's pulling carpet off the stairs. And so, you know how, you know, he's tucked in in the stairs and he pulls and something goes flying by his head and he hears a ding, ding, ding. And so he goes over there it's that engagement ring. It has fallen, actually, I guess it's coming up here, and then it has slid in underneath the carpet. And so he is just thrilled. He called her, and they were literally weeping on the phone. I found your 
seat, like, oh, this is it was a glorious day. Thank you, God, for helping you find that. I tell these stories to give you a little setup of what Jesus was trying to say in the parable that's lost and found in Luke 15. And so I'm going to look at the passage. Context is important. Um, you know, who is Jesus talking to? So it's good for us to understand the context. The imagery he uses, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that as we talk through. And so let's begin with verses 1 and 2, Luke 15, 1 and 2. He says this now, listen to who the audience is now, tax collectors and sinners. God bless you. Yeah, tax collectors and sinners were all what? Drawing near. Drawing near to hear him. It's real important. Let's hear this. You may have heard this a thousand times. Listen with your ears. Tax collectors and sinners are drawing near him. And the Pharisees and scribes are there. And they grumbled, which they were good at, saying, This man received sinners and he even eats with them. So before we move on, let's talk about that. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, it's interesting that almost that we have in Scripture that there is this distinction of tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were varsity sinners. They lettered in sinning. Okay? Reason being, okay, you need to understand, that's why it's very powerful when you hear that Jesus called Matthew as a disciple. The story of Zacchaeus, who's a chief tax collector. Get this, are these people are Jews, but they're hired by Rome, this oppressive government that is over them, to go about and say, you have permission to go take money from your own people, bring us money to fund what we're doing, and you know what it is? I mean, read about Rome, the brutality of Rome, the oppression of Rome, and here these people having to pull money out of their pockets and fund it. And some of you guys feel like we're being oppressed and we're in the tax, and the man's pretty tough to us right now. It was way bad back then. She said, we give you permission and authority by Rome to go collect people, bring us money, and then keep a little bit for yourself. You can see how these people were despised. To give you an idea of how much they were despised, if a tax collector tried to bring money to the temple, they would refuse it. When your church is refusing your money, that's a, we don't want it. it, it your money is as corrupt as you are. We don't want it. And so tax collectors are there. Jesus made a statement by calling Matthew a tax collector. I want you to follow me. Zacchaeus, restoring his life. And then you have tax collectors and broken people, lost people, hurting people, people that have not made bad decisions in their lives, people that are the downcast of society. And so they're there. All in this little, probably a little home where they were gathered in fear. And so then... You have them and you have the religious. So you have some of these people that the religious wouldn't even... So it was amazing even that they were together at times. Because the religious would look down their noses and say, you know, you push away from those people. They might get their dirt on me. They might get their filth on me. And so you have the religious. The religious would run away from these people typically. And here's what's cool. It says that they were drawing near to him. 
I think that's such a convicting thing for the church. If we are followers of Jesus, we have the Spirit of Christ in us, shouldn't there be this thing that people want to be near us? And instead, we have seen where people have pushed away from the church because it's very easy for us to become very religious and become kind of our own little entity and push people away. But now they are drawn to him. And Luke 5, what does it say? Jesus would draw to them. He would come near them instead of pushing against the broken. He went toward them. Shared about this in the funeral yesterday. To the woman at the well, to the woman caught in adultery, to Zacchaeus, the very broken society, he would go toward them. And here now, we see in this passage, we see they were drawn to him. Isn't that beautiful? It means that his ministry was being affected. They knew he had truth. They knew he had love. That he was going to give them the truth in love. Not just speaking truth about love. Not just speaking love without truth. Those are two extremes that we must say no to. But he was speaking the truth in love. He loved them right where they're at, but he also loved them enough not to leave them in their sin. He would call them out in a loving way. So they grumble, the Pharisees, the religious people. This man receives sinners and eats for them. This man with those people, this disdain and anger, you can just feel it seizing from them. They were moral people. They were church people of the day. They knew the law. They kept the law in a technical sense and concluded that this was not the way you dealt with those people. Here's how you deal with those people. You pulled away from them. You separated yourself from them. You didn't engage with them until they cleaned themselves up. Until you start following our rules, then we'll take, until you start being more moral and, and cleaning up and maybe cutting your hair or shaving or becoming outwardly like us, we will reject you. And here's Jesus engaging with them. He said Jesus ate with them. Now I want you to understand something. This is not that Jesus said, hey, let's go to Subway and have a sandwich. Um, go back just once. Um, this man, this man was presented that he eats with them. The, the, the context there in that day was that he would banquet with them. This was a very organized situation where he would come. It had a sense of belonging. That, that I'm with you. I'm among you. I love you. I want to be near you. But more than just let's go get a sandwich like in our day. Let's go grab some lunch. This was something where it was. They, 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 were, they were grumbling, so he eats with them, he banquets with them, he, he's associating with them. He's got this sense of gathering them in and loving them. And so this is the disdain that we see. And it wanting them, wanting them to clean up. Are we guilty of labeling those people? We've got to guard our hearts. Very easy for us to do. A lot of times we forget our own lostness, right? We forget that we once were sinners, that we still are in need of Christ, but we've all done it. Those people, and whatever it be, different colors than us. Maybe they have look differently, they have piercings or tattoos. They don't look like you. Maybe their sexual orientation is different. They're not from your group. They're not your type. Maybe they're refugees. And we all have these things that we can. In our hearts, there will go those people. And it was those people that Jesus went to. 
And so interestingly enough, you have these two groups that have gathered to hear what Jesus has to say. And a lot of times Jesus would speak these parables. Sometimes it was just to the law. Sometimes it was to the religious. Sometimes it was to both. This is the context here. So let's go. Verse 3. So he told them the parable. So we've got all these people in there. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that he's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulder. Do you hear the care and compassion and love? Rejoicing. Who's rejoicing? The shepherd is rejoicing that he's found the sheep. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need to repent. So they would have understood what it was understood when he said, They've seen shepherds. They're tracking along this businessman, this shepherd who has a hundred sheep. This is not a huge, gigantic business. It's like a mid-range business. But it's valuable. Every sheep is valuable. One gets lost. So this was at a cost to the shepherd that one was lost. And you know, sheep do that, right? They easily wander. They're easily distracted. They're not real bright. It's not a compliment when somebody here says you're the smartest of sheep. Yet guess what? We're called. You know, we're, we're, we're a fellow sheep. Because he's our shepherd. You guys like that sheep? That's awesome, wasn't it? I got that all day. Sheep are dirty. They can't do much for themselves. They're, de- they're very dependent on the shepherd. And so a lot of sheep is in a lot of danger. There are wolves. There's briars. There's cliffs. They get isolated. They get disoriented. But we are like that. We are like sheep. That's a humbling admission, isn't it? That's why David, he's writing a song and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I love David's heart. He's going to become one of the most powerful men in But yet, he's like, Lord, you are my shepherd. Because in the big scheme of things, I'm a sheep. And he was a shepherd. He saw the sheep. And he said, he would look around and probably get frustrated sometimes. And he's like, I'm just like that. I'm a sheep. It's a humbling thing, but it's a beautiful thing. Jesus is called the Great Shepherd, John 10. He said, I am the Great Shepherd. My sheep know my voice, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Isaiah 53, it says, We like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way. Hey, you know, we're just doing that. He said that the Lord, here's what God does instead of just being angry with us. He says that His response was to lay on Jesus the iniquity and sinfulness of us all because we love us. The Great Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep, even though. We are. We easily wander. We get distracted. We go our own way. That's why the great revelations say, "Great Shepherd, I need you." He said, "My sheep will know my voice." And so his audience is those who knew they are broken and sin. They're drawn. They're drawn to him. And then those that think they have it all together because of moral and religious pride. And what Jesus is saying, He's got all these people, what He's saying in this declaration, you're all lost. You don't forget that you are a sheep. And you need the shepherd. 
The obvious is that one realizes it and the other doesn't. One realizes its own lostness, the other doesn't. They forgot that they need a shepherd. Let's look at this passage from Matthew, what Jesus says. Kind of give us some context. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, a tax collector. That is, tax collector. He followed me. Be my disciple. Jesus says this. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So we have varsity and JV again. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such what? That's the Greek word, scummy, scum of the earth. Why do they? So verse 12, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I don't want, to, I, I don't want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. In other words, he's saying, I, I'm not, I didn't call you to be religious and do religious things because they would offer sacrifices in a religious way, but to show mercy. For I've come to call those what, who, not who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so Luke 15, he's got both two right in. You guys think that you're righteous, and you guys know that you're sinners, and he's trying to tie the two together, that this is who he came for. Those who think they're righteous versus those who know they're sinners, he got both audiences. And what was the first beatitude that Jesus said in Matthew 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The ones that realize Whoa, I'm awake. I need you, Jesus. Every day I need you. Because that's who I came for. But he's got these two groups. The ones that realize their need. And the ones that were religious. Let me read to you signs that you have become too religious or like the Pharisees described. One, you, and this is not up there, but you judge other people by their appearance. Two, you try to earn God's love and salvation through works or morality. Pharisees were just they were driven by works. Not that we don't do works, but that is not to save you. Three, you try to conform to outward holiness without inward transformation. The Pharisees just looked the part. They had all the flowing robes and they looked really holy and they could quote scripture and they could talk about and they were very impressive and people would go like, whoa, those guys are amazing and they could say the right thing and have the spiritual thing to say. But yet, Jesus did your heart to call upon me. You need to transform them. You look holy, but you're not. Next, if you're a spiritual know-it-all, you're prideful. And they, they were like that in that day. You have a deeper understanding and revelation than others. You set yourself above others spiritually. And you're just in your mind going, those poor people, I will be here to help you because you need me. Kind of a spiritual know-it-all. You're critical of, pe- of people not like you. That's another one. You perform Christian duties, but you have no passion for God. You're just doing it you want to maybe feel better about yourself. You desire position and honor among people more than honor from God. You know about the truth of Jesus, but not the ways of Jesus. And then you have no humility and are always teaching, but you're rarely ever learning. You're unteachable. And you saw that among those people. And Jesus rebuked that all the time. And if we're not careful, sliding into that is very subtle and very easy. 
And that's why I think that daily realizing our need for Jesus is quite And so the answer to this, again, truth in order, realizing our desperate need of Christ, admitting that we're sheep that need a shepherd. And so the shepherd searches until he finds the sheep. He places the sheep on his shoulders. Again, that real, that, that, what is Jesus trying to reveal? He says, through this tenderness, God loves you so much. The, the shepherd loves you, and there's this tenderness that he has for the sheep. And the sheep that runs away is the sheep that is self-reliant. That's why Jesus is saying they were drawn to him. And so he was reaching out to the shepherd, and they remembered, oh, my how do I get out here? And Jesus takes them up, and they're drawn to the shepherd, and he tenderly takes them back. It's interesting that it says that he leaves the 99. And there's something that the Bible says right there. I'll leave the 99. He basically thinks they are righteous, because it says this in the parable, the 99 were left in open country. There's something, maybe you've missed that before. Most of the time, the shepherd, if he's going to go out and look for something, he's going to put them in a pen, right? He's going to put them in a place where they're protected. This tells me that he's thinking about people who don't realize their need of him. The 99 are left in open country, and he goes, what should they have done? Follow him. Jesus said, I go and my mission is to seek and save the lost. Church, come with me. Don't just stay in your church. Don't just stay in your building. Don't just stay over there in religious places. And then what's, what, what is happening here in the Revelation is he's going to look for the one who is lost. Now guess who's lost? They're in open country. And they don't even realize that they're lost. And Jesus is making the distinction of the religious. He said, you guys have gotten so religious and so prideful. I'll go to my, my mission is to go after lost people. You don't even realize they're lost, but you're lost. He's, re- he's revealing his heart. He's saying to the religious, you need me. Their hearts got hardened more and more hard. And I love that he lays it on his shoulder and he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing for suffering. He's going, yes, I found. And Jesus rejoices. God rejoices. First of all, when we are a sinner and we come to salvation and we put our hope and our trust in things, we go, Lord, I need you and I want you to be my Savior. And there is rejoicing. But you know what? I think there's also rejoicing is when we, every day, say, God, I need you. I need you today. I need you tomorrow. I need you the next day. I want to walk with you. And he talks about there's joy in heaven where one sinner repent. And let's look at the last thing that he calls him and we close with this. So Jesus tells us the second story. In other words, if you didn't get the first one, let me tell you another one. <clears throat> or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and speak diligently until she finds it? She's coming the house upside down. This is that panicky feeling that we're lost on. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and rejoice with me. Also, let me just let you know, when it says, when Jesus says that, when he finds the sheep and he calls his friends and they come to celebrate, he's not just sending out a text saying, oh, by the way, found the sheep. He says, we are having an official gigantic banquet celebration. Come, I found the sheep. There is that kind of 
importance and joy in heaven when we respond to the shepherd. And so, this lady, she's lost her silver coin until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. In other words, let's throw a party. Come over. For I have found the coin that I've lost. That's what I tell you. There is joy before the angel of God over one sinner who repents. So if you didn't catch it, like, like, like Jesus said, if you didn't catch it with the first one, here's the second one. This is my mission. Now, these ten silver coins, let's really take a look at it. These are called drop notes in the, the, uh, the money of the day. It's about a day's wage. Each coin is about a day's wage. So we're not talking about a ton of money here. But this wasn't about monetary work. She didn't lose a million dollars. But this is not about monetary worth, but of heart worth in the story. You know there's some things that are more valuable than money? You know, when somebody talks to you maybe about like something that you have, and they go, would you sell that to me? And you go, it's not for sale. You know, those kind of things. There are things worth more than money to take heart value. And so you can say, why is she getting bent out of shape over a drop money? In that day, it was a day's wage, and I understand a day's wage can be a sacrifice, but it wasn't a huge amount of money. Sometimes the drachmas, and I'm not saying that that is the case, sometimes the drachmas were in a, on, on almost like a string, you know, and the ladies would wear those, and it was a wedding gift, maybe you see, you know, they would do that at times. I don't know what that is, but there's something of heart worth here. Maybe a wedding gift, maybe something that was passed down from generations. But here's what we do know. It was far worth more than the money. She turns the house upside down for that coin. And then when she finds it, she celebrates. And Jesus is saying, just like the sheep, we are like the drop ones. We are sinners. We are broken. And we all are in need of being found. Here's the thing about that story. We are far more worth than anything monetary. You can't put a price tag on a human soul. And Jesus is trying to reveal this to the people. As the Pharisees are going, you're eating with those people. And Jesus said, for those people, they are far more worth whatever monetary thing that you would say, they would obviously put themselves up of maybe we're more worth billions and those people are worth maybe a hundred bucks and Jesus has nothing to do with there is a heart value that I have in people. And he will move heaven and earth, he will turn the house upside down to find those who are lost. He's revealing who he is. He's the shepherd. He's like the lady. He's turning the house up. He says, I will leverage everything to find this thing that is lost because it's far more worth than monetary value. This person is worth a great deal to me. That is the worth that Jesus sees in you. I'm excited about this Jesus. 
And he searches until he finds it. He finds the one that realizes their need for them. Again, not the ones that think they are righteous. Like, they're suffering. I don't need you. I'll be my own God. I've got it. I'm very religious. I've been a Christian for 50 years. I'm up here, and I, I don't need that. And I don't need. I don't need my. I'm not. I don't need to be desperate for you. I've, I've got it. I've got a lot of information. I've been given a lot of information. Or I'm not even a Christian at all. But I'll be on my own God. I'm doing a pretty good job without you. And Jesus is saying, you do need money. And sometimes you don't even realize it, but you are lost. And then I love his, the response again. We see the response uh, here in verse 10. Just to tell you, there's joy before the angels over once and to repent. Have you ever heard that when somebody gives a lot of Christ, the angels rejoice? How many of you heard that? That they're the angels rejoice? That's not what he says there. Check that out. I'm sure the angels do rejoice. That's not what Jesus said. When he's found it, she calls together her friends and they're just going to rejoice to me for I've found the coin that lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels. Some translate to say, in the presence of the angels, there is joy. Well, we know he's celebrating because Jesus just told us about that. He said, when the shepherd finds him, he says, he rejoices. And so, when you respond to the Lord, when you realize your need of Him, you come to Him, and that can be a myth of salvation, or just waking up tomorrow and saying, Jesus, I need you. He's rejoicing because He's they got it. It's like me looking for that key, and the key is yes, we found it. It's like the young lady, the, uh, the man that calls his daughter, who got found her and gave her and there's weeping, and there's such joy. We have found that which was lost. That's the heart of God when we respond to Him. And that we as the church understand that Jesus said, Son of Man came. Here's my mission. The Son of Man came and speak and save those who are lost. We're on a mission to find them because we've been found. We're on a mission to wake up every day and say, Jesus, I desperately need you today. And then we're on a mission to say, and say, come on, church. Don't be like the 99 who laid back and opened up. Come on with me. We're going to go out. If you're going to come with me, the shepherd wants to see you come with him. He'll realize the need of them, and we're going to go out and we're going to find the lost together. We're going to reach out. We're going to love those people, whoever those people are. And we're going to say there is truth and there is freedom in the name of Jesus. And this world desperately needs them. Somebody get excited with me. Don't patronize me, people. We are lost. Don't forget that. Don't forget that in the audience of where he's talking, he still loves those religious people too. He's grieved for them. He's hurting for them because they have gotten so religious and moral and spiritual that they, there's the savior of the world sitting right there in front of them and they can't perceive him. And so later on, they would be the ones that turned on him gave them up for crucifixion because they just couldn't see it. And they had all the prophecies, they had all the knowledge, and had all the stuff, and all roads pointed to Christ. He's sitting there in front of them, and so they, they reject him. And be careful, folks, it's very easy for us to suddenly remove ourselves from the need of Christ because we become so spiritual. But that we say, oh, Lord, I want to be poor in spirit. I want to realize my need of you. But I don't think Jesus, I think he's righteously angry, but I think he loved them too. His heart grieves for them. 
wanted them to get it. And every once in a while, you see one of those Pharisees get it. I love Nicodemus that comes to Jesus at night and he's believed in Jesus. Man, man, I just said, yeah, I think he is the one to guard our hearts. God, help us to realize our need of you and to go on a mission with him. Will you stand with me? Lord, we love you today. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you have, you searched and found us, that you are continually on a mission to search, seek, and save us, to search for us. Lord, forgive us when we've gotten so religious and we look down our noses at what we consider those people, Lord, whatever that might be. And to, Lord, remember our own losses that we were once far away from you. And that, Lord, the danger of beginning to label people and say, those people, God, forgive us, save the church. Help us not to be like the 99 when you wander off to go look to the lost. We just we, we don't even notice that they're gone. And we're in the open country amongst ourselves talking, and now we're lost. And it's very easy, God. Forgive us. And Lord, I pray that we as the church would be on mission with you, Lord, to reach out in love to those that are around us, the hurting, the broken, even the ones that we might say are varsity sinners. God, that you love them. And you want to transform their lives and make them more like Jesus. We honor you today, God. Be with us. Thank you that you are lost and found by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.